The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Be Fit for Life. Your host is Chad Austin. There's no time to get yourself into shape. Like right now, you'll learn how to overcome the day-to-day excuses and start working on the rest of your life. The results will come as you go and will just keep getting better and better. Now, here's your host and motivator, Chad Austin. What's up, everybody? I'm Chad Austin. Welcome to Be Fit for Life. Last week, I hope you enjoyed our encore presentation of one of our past shows we did back on February 24th titled, Why Nothing Has Changed. This, this morning, Be Fit for Life returns with a great new show. Joining us on the show later this morning is strength conditioning coach Jeff Gerbitz. Jeff is the owner and director of training systems at Bang Fitness. Based in Toronto, Canada, Bang Fitness takes a methodical approach to building great movement and strength. His role is to design and oversee training systems that help people get the most out of themselves. He has the ability to watch his training programs being tested out daily and enjoys the process of continually refining his approach. Jeff believes in sustainable fitness. That means building the kind of physiological foundation that will allow you to train and thrive well into old age. This process focuses our br- out on bringing out the innate athleticism in everyone. Jeff will be joining us in just a little bit. While you're listening to me, if you want to learn more about Jeff and Bang Fitness, he has a great website you can take a look at. That's www.bangfitness.com. www.bangfitness.com. Last week, we replayed a past episode called Why Nothing Has Changed. In this episode, we discussed why 90% of people fail on their New Year's resolutions by the end of the first six weeks of the year. So I decided it was a good time to replay this episode because we just passed the halfway point of the year. So now is a good time, just as good a time as any, to take a second and just evaluate your progress. Are you getting results? Are you still doing the things you need to be doing to get results and to be successful? In this episode, Why Nothing Has Changed, I had a great conversation with Dr. Kelly Baltuskev. He's a chiropractor that I've done a lot of projects with, and we discussed what stops us from reaching our goals. Not even what stops us reaching our goals. What stops us from sticking to our plans? So what stops us? The answer we came up with was our excuses. We let the obstacles in our lives become excuses to keep putting things off until later. Over and over again, we do this. We make excuses as to why we can't possibly stick to our plans. And by doing that, we let ourselves off the hook. And the sad truth is, these obstacles that we use as excuses, they're not going anywhere. So we simply have to overcome them. The only way you can do that is to stop making excuses and start making solutions. So we decided that the biggest excuse we see that we use all the time and that I hear all the time is I'm too busy or I don't have time. I'm too tired. I don't have any energy. So if you hadn't had a chance yet, go back and listen to this episode from the last week. Take some time today to evaluate your progress toward your goals. Are you still doing the things you need to be doing to be successful? And if you're not, why not? What obstacles are standing in your way and how can you overcome them? Speaking of obstacles, if you've been listening to my show, then you know that I'm currently training to compete in the world's toughest mutter. The world's toughest mutter is an obstacle race, but the difference between it and a regular obstacle race or a regular tough mutter is the world's toughest mutter is a 24-hour event. It, it begins at 10 a.m. on Saturday, November 15th, and finishes at 10 a.m. Sunday, November 16th. It has twice as many obstacles per mile as a regular tough mutter does, and at the end of 24 hours, the person who has went through the obstacle course the most times is a person crowned world's toughest mutter. So if you're curious as to why I would want to put myself through this and if I'm crazy or what my motivation is for wanting to do something like this, then you should listen to another episode I did recently on June 30th 
called Take a Stand and Overcome Your Obstacles. This is a motivational episode, and I talk about my reason why, why I, what my motivation is for taking on this big of a challenge, and how I believe that the bigger the challenge, the bigger the reward. So the, this year will be the fourth year that World Toughest Mudder has been around. This is the fourth, fourth, fourth event. I have done a few obstacle races. I've done a few Tough Mudders and a few Warrior Dashes, things like that. But I've never competed in a 24-hour event like this before. So I really don't know completely what to expect. Recently, I was lucky enough to stumble across the World's Toughest Mudder group on Facebook. And I was allowed in the group. It's a big group full of veterans and rookie World's Toughest Mudder competitors. And it has been so helpful. I've been using it, using this group for a while now, and so I've been building two different lists for myself with this group. One's an equipment list, and another one I just titled Things to Prepare for. An equipment list, things I needed, the, shoot, the list keeps growing, but trail running shoes is at the top of the list. Every Tough Mudder I've done before, every Warrior Dash, I've always just used tennis shoes, and then at the end of the race, I've thrown my shoes onto the pile of other shoes that everyone just throws away. But most of these Tough Mudders, I mean, especially for a long event like this, they wear trail running shoes. And so the ones I'm looking into are called Monster Claws. They're supposed to be the best one for, for long events like this. And so I plan to get two pair, two pair to wear during the race and another one just, just in case something happens. Um, more to the equipment list I, that I haven't had before that I didn't know I would have needed is wetsuit. I've never wore a wetsuit for anything before. And I didn't know that there's more than one kind. There's all kinds of different thicknesses and things like that you need to look into. But at the World's Toughest Mudder, it's a 24-hour event, but there, it's at a lake, so there'll be a lot of water obstacles. And there is the ice water obstacle, Arctic Enema, that's at every Tough Mudder where you have to completely submerge yourself in ice water. And going through 24 hours, especially at the World's Toughest Mudder this year, is in Las Vegas. So in the, and during the day, it may not be quite so bad, but there's going to be a huge temperature drop at night. And so we'll probably need something. Another piece of equipment I'm getting is a headlamp that I'll have to wear uh, going through the night hours of the obstacle course so I can see. And then a lamp for my pit area. So whenever I'm refueling, when I'm changing gear or any of my pit crew, they'll be able to see. The other And various other things are added to this list that I've learned that I need. The other things, the other list, the things I need to prepare for, there have been a few great conversation threads on this group page where rookies have either asked questions or veterans have just volunteered advice to us that things that things that otherwise I'd never have any idea I need even to worry about going to this event. And so one of them is strategy. It's like this race is not as much about speed as it is about conditioning, preparing your body, prevent, preventing it from being injured, and just mental toughness. I mean, you could actually walk this whole race, and if you were able to keep going the whole time, you would finish a lot of miles. So there's going to come a point where the 12-hour mark, where it becomes a lot of mental, um, a mental struggle, and it becomes a lot of physical struggle just for your body just needing a break. And so you have to really prepare for that. Other things to think about are shoes. I've heard that after the 12-hour mark, your feet are going to start to swell. And so it's a good idea to bring a, a pair of shoes that are actually a half-size bigger for when that happens. And I've heard a lot of nightmare stories on these lists about blisters, chafing, uh, things like this, uh, blisters on your feet. So I've, I'm going to look into trying some training with some toe socks to see how that goes. And I'll bring several pairs of socks. And then chafing is something I've never even worried about before because I've never ran long, long distance before, not, nothing longer than a half mile. And so I've never had that as an issue. Contacts is something that I was worried about because... At every Tough Mudder I've done so far, at some point during the race, I'll get mud in my eyes and I'll have to struggle with my contacts for a little while. So asking other people what have they have done, I thought about wearing goggles through the whole thing or that wearing safety glasses or just not wearing contacts, wearing glasses. Um, and so I've been getting some great advice there. Sunburns, that's another thing I wouldn't have even thought of, but it's in the desert. And so I'll have all day long, they'll be out in the sun. And so a sunburn would be a bad, bad sunburn. Some of these would be horrible reasons not to be able to finish the race. So I really, really, my biggest goal is to be able to keep going the whole 24 hours. Um, a problem that people have come onto is that they didn't switch in, they didn't put their wetsuit on soon enough last year. So some people had to drop out of the race last year because they didn't 
put their wetsuit on soon enough and they got too cold and actually got frostbite or just wasn't able to warm up when it, when it got really cold at night. Uh, nutrition, uh, knowing what to eat, uh, when to eat, how often to eat it, how much to eat. Uh, a lot of people had to drop out of the race last year because they just, because they just didn't do a very good job with their nutrition and their body just crashed. Uh, sleep, that's a big question I've had recently. Um, I am someone that I feel like half the week anyway I go without enough sleep as I need to and I'm just fine. Um, but for a 24-hour event like this, my gut tells me that I need to just keep going and not stop. And like once I stop, um, my body's going to tighten up. It's going to be harder to keep going. But I've heard a lot of mixed review, mixed answers from people on the site where some people are saying they didn't move at all and are the same thing I said. And other people had a tr- were planned on a, a, a rest during the, during the night for a couple hours and it was part of their training. And so I'll have a, a lot of ways to kind of figure out what's best for me. But the point of all this, the reason I'm telling you about these two lists is that so many of these things are things I never would have even thought of. I would have had no idea about the blisters, the chafing, about the sunburn, about the nutrition, about the sleep, or things like this, things that, that could have really been an obstacle for me that's not part of the race when I got there. And so whenever you have a big goal, you have a big challenge, or something you're about to take on for, your own, for yourself, you have to take advantage of the professionals that are willing to help you and want to help you succeed. They've already been there, they've experienced it, and they've grown from it. And they can help you avoid making mistakes that they had to learn the hard way. So we're going to take a quick commercial break right now. When we return, I'm going to introduce today's guest, Jeff Gerbitz, who is an expert with years of experience in strength conditioning. And we're going to talk about the things you need to think about when considering getting into strength training and making it stick well into old age. We'll be right back on BeFit for Life. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned into Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. If you have a question or comment about our program, send us an email at chadaustinfitness at gmail.com. That's chadaustinfitness at gmail.com. Now, back to Be Fit for Life. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Chad Austin, and you're listening to Be Fit for Life. Joining us on the show this morning is strength conditioning coach Jeff Gerbitz. Jeff is the owner and director of training systems at Bang Fitness. Based in Toronto, Canada, Bang Fitness takes a methodical approach to building great movement and strength. His role is to design and oversee training systems that help people get the most out of themselves. He has the ability to watch his training programs being tested out daily and enjoys the process of continually refining his approach. Jeff believes in sustainable fitness. That means building the kind of physiological foundation that will allow you to train and thrive well into old age. This process focuses on bringing out the innate athleticism in everyone. 
Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Jeff, we're, we're both very blessed and we're in a position where we found what we're passionate about and we actually get to do it for a living. So how did you find your passion for fitness and how did you become a fitness leader? It's funny. Um, you know, if you'd asked me in high school if I'd be working in this realm, I, I would have thought that was hilarious. I would have thought that was great. Um, and I really never expected to do it. I wasn't... Um, you know, uh, I wasn't really into lifting weights or anything when I was younger. Uh, I was always a martial arts guy, but I think that's because I felt it was just something I could do on my own. Uh, and then sort of later in life, I just sort of stumbled into it first through interest. Uh, you know, a friend of mine had lent me a book on, uh, on training. It was more, more sort of a formal, uh, work. And, and I was surprised with how interested I was and, and how compelling I found it. So I read it and I read it again. And uh, initially, I was just sort of interested in injury prevention, uh, and it, it, you know, which is not the sexiest thing in the world, but I always figured, you know, I wanted to be able to be physically active for the rest of my life. And, you know, as long as you're not too banged up, you can always exercise whatever options. You can learn new things. You can change your approach. So as long as you're not broken, you're good mm-hmm. to go. So I, I went from injury prevention and then slowly started transitioning into um, more and more stuff until I found myself working uh, I decided to make the switch and, and work as a personal trainer. Uh, I was at a big box gym for about a minute and a half, uh, and I knew that wouldn't be a great fit for me. Uh, so slowly started to go it on my own, and what I lacked in clients, I, I made up for in time and, and spent a lot of time studying and kind of tried to continue that where, where I'm continually trying to get better and learn more. And uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. That's great. It's, it's always fun to hear how, how someone found their their path to fitness. So how long have you been in the, how long have you been in the fitness profession now? Uh, so it's probably been eight years and change. Uh, the gym, uh, bank fitness has been open for six years. Uh, and it came faster than I expected. I, I started with the idea that someday I would, I would open up a facility and the opportunity sort of came sooner than I was ready for it. But sometimes you just have to, uh, when these things come at you, you have to, uh, square up and, and, uh, and roll with it. So, so that's what I did. So how'd you come up with the name Bang Fitness? When I saw your website, I, I stumbled across it a few times. It was actually the second or third time I came across something that said Bang Fitness. I wrote that. I realized it had like the, the background of like a Batman. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I saw the, the tagline, the train like an athlete, feel like a superhero. So how did you come up with, the, the, with that kind of a title for your gym, the Bang Fitness? When we first opened, uh, we actually shared space with an MMA club. So we had, uh, we had our, our stuff on one side. We had mixed martial artists uh, working on the other, and those were really the first athletes we worked with. So, uh, you know, at the time we were throwing sandbags around. We were smashing tires with a sledgehammer. There, were, <laughs> there was a lot of impact-related stuff, and it just sort of made sense. Uh, you know, we were throwing ideas back and forth, and being able to sort of tap into, you know, every, you know, like, like you said, we, everyone does have innate athleticism. There's, there's something in there, regardless of whether you feel it there or not. There's a reason your, your genes are still kicking around. And, um, so, and, and when we really get into that, it really is like tapping into a superpower. Your, your strength makes huge strides in the first few months of training. So with all that in mind and kind of a love of, of that sort of, um, over-the-top comic book ideal. Uh, that's that's how we decided to roll. Oh, I like it. I, I and I agree with you about the athleticism. I always there's another uh, uh, there's another trainer I really liked, uh, Jeff. Uh, I can't think of his name right now, but um, he always says that if you want to if you want to look like an athlete, you have to train like an athlete. So that's always Absolutely. kind of something I've agreed with and adapted myself also. But bank fitness. There's something I read on your website. You have a great website, by the way. Listeners, Thank if you, you. had not had a chance, go and take a look at it while you're listening to us, www.bangfitness.com. But it says on there, old school philosophy and new school training. And so you have, it talks about what, fun, what the fundamental things are that you believe in. And it talks about movement is foundational. Strength is a skill. There's more to measure than what wow. you see on a scale and one focus at a time. Can you just explain these fundamentals that you talk about on your website and how they are important to fitness? 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, so starting with, uh, yeah, with movement is foundational. Absolutely. We think of it as this is, this is our base, this is our foundation for everything else we're going to do. Um, so if you, you know, let's think about it in the context of weight training um, and a squat pattern, which is a fundamental movement pattern. Everyone can do it. Toddlers do it naturally. In a lot of parts of the world, people just hang out for extended periods of time in the squat. But maybe something is up. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe we have a lack of mobility. You don't have a wonderful squat pattern. So probably not the best time to, to throw 400 pounds on your back and go to town. What we want to do is just get impeccable movement first. So that's the first place we're going to go. Now, once we've got it, now we can start to test it with things like load, velocity, stability, all that stuff. Um, But just getting great movement is a skill in and of itself. It's sort of a a really rewarding challenge in and of itself. I think people really enjoy it Um, for a lot of, uh, you know, we were chatting before the show began about how adults are sort of stuck in pretty much the same positions for most of their lives. They sit, Mm -hmm. they stand, they'll do a little bit of walking, but in terms of the sheer variety of movement, crawling, squatting, lunging, um, you know, uh, brachiating, like getting on the monkey bars and swinging around, we we don't do that so much, or most people don't as they get older. So just kind of rediscovering that, cleaning up any weak links, making sure we've we've reduced any barriers to injury, it makes a big difference and it sets the, the platform for everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, reading some article someone else I've had on the show. That's a really good writer, Brett Klicka, where he talks about the movements, how, how we've changed since we're, when we were a baby, we do all these movements so well, but then the pattern overload of things changed. Now that the technology era is here where we we're laying down when we sleep and then we get up and we sit down for breakfast and then we get in our car and we're sitting in our car to get to work. And we get to, get to work, and then we sit at our desk and lean forward at the computer all day. And then we come home, we sit and eat dinner, and then we go and lay back down. And so we're never, never really in, but in those two positions anymore. And so I, I definitely, uh, I mean, that's, that's exactly how people, we forget how to move right. And so when we come back and try to do, do the movements, it's, we're putting, putting our body in danger because we're doing it wrong. And so. Yeah, we just, you know, we, we might have uh, forgotten some things along the way. Um, but, you know, sometimes we'll just find... Uh, we, we don't have that same sort of easy movement. Um, you know, Brett's awesome, by the way. You know, he's, and, and so I think he and I are all on the same page for a lot of that type of stuff. So just, it doesn't have to be grueling. It doesn't have to be horrible. Uh, everyone kind of is where they are. We, we take a look when we assess them. We see what they can do well and what they struggle with. And with the things they struggle with, we have to figure out, okay, is this something um, that, that we can deal with most of the time it is and we just have to put them in the right positions give them the right opportunities to figure stuff out uh without you know trying to be overbearing with the process or micromanage them and and humans as luck would have it are incredibly resilient and you give us challenges and we start to rise to them sometimes it's just Mm -hmm. figuring out the right way to challenge people Mm -hmm. yeah i'm always talking about the progression regression and so i mean some doing something body weight with body weight instead of 400 pounds like you said i mean it's still resistance training you're just, you know, you, and it's just a progression. If you, if you, once you learn how to do it the right way with your body weight, then you can add weight. And so it's all about taking the right baby steps and not uh, going too far. But I definitely uh, agree with your philosophy a lot on there. Yeah, which is um, not to say we don't want people to be freakishly strong because right. we do, <laughs> but we'll set them up in the right place first. So whatever they need. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of inherent risks to streak training, and so I mean, there are a lot of different options for people out there and uh, CrossFit and Sandy or resistance training, strongman stuff or powerlifting, whatever it is. How do we make sure that we're undertaking a new program safely? That is a pretty good question. You know, how do you, we know, we know exercise is good. We want, we know we want to undertake it, but at the same time, you know, how are we going to make sure that we're not, um, you know, like I said before, as long as you're not getting banged up, if you're not broken, even if it's not the world's most effective exercise, you can always exercise the option later on to, to switch it up and do something else as long as you're physically capable of doing that, you know? So, um, you know, I, I guess the first thing I would say, and, you know, in, in my biased opinion as, a, as the owner of a gym, is go find a, a professional. Find somebody who's, uh, who's great at what they do and can oversee the process. And that doesn't, that doesn't, um, you know, just 
stick with strength training. I'm also talking about uh, running. And actually, one of you know, sometimes we we we've we've been known to bag on running from time to time, and not because it isn't amazing, but um, a lot of distance runners are really banged up, have um, injury, you know, something like two thirds, I think, from a from a, a pull from Runner's World. Uh, knees and backs and everything. And so why are there so many overuse injuries? Why are people so broken from running? And I think one of the reasons is, is, is simply too much too soon. It's accessible. Um, you know, it's cheap. You need a pair of shoes or maybe not, and you can hit the road. But uh, not everyone builds up the volume, and not everybody has great technique. They're great. There are running coaches out there as well. So I would definitely recommend, no matter what you're doing, uh, even if it seems really accessible and easy, get some expert guidance. And if you think about what that's going to cost you, uh, you know, just amortize that cost over the rest of your life. If uh, if we can make sure that you don't have a knee injury from distance running over the first year, or at least minimize the likelihood, uh, and that's going to allow you to train safely and 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 enjoyably for the rest of your life, it's it's a great investment to make. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the other thing that I would say is you can choose exercises that are self-limiting. And this is a term I picked up from a physiotherapist named Greg Cook, and he's, he's you know, pretty well-known, at least in, in, in training circles. Um, but he, you know, one of his examples of self-limiting training is barefoot running. Uh, you know, we know that if you're in a thick shoe, you might be heel striking, and um, which you can you can absolutely get away with. But if we take away all that padding, uh, you're going to have to either learn a four foot strike, or you're going to find that it doesn't take you very long before your feet are really sore from running, and uh, and and so that'll sort of self limit you. Another example would be with jumping rope. If you're an amazing, <laughs> you know, athlete or you're an amazing talent at jump rope, you're going to be able to go on and on. If you are terrible at jump rope and you're deconditioned. Um, it's, it'll, it'll handle itself. It'll sort itself out because you're going to be whacking your shins every three seconds and resetting. Um, All right. I think, I think my best example, what, what I tell people about when we talk about self-limiting exercise um, would be running uphill. So short, shorter, more intense runs. Now, obviously, we always want to check, make sure it's safe, make sure we don't have any joint issues or cardiovascular issues. But that being said, if, if you're doing quick runs up a hill, especially, you know, I, I'm, I definitely prefer minimalist footwear. Um, and you're walking down, you go as hard as you want. You're going to find pretty soon your heart rate is really jacked up and you're going to have to slow down, take, take a minute to recover before you hit that hill again. Uh, you're on an incline, which forces you into good running mechanics. You'll be on the balls of your feet. Um, there's way less impact just because of the way you're approaching it. So this makes a lot of sense. If you're great at it, you'll be able to go hard. If you're terrible at it and you're, or you're deconditioned, you're going to have to take it slowly. And if I were to flip the script on that, I would say, well, put somebody on pavement on a decline, have them run downhill. So even if you've got bad running technique, even if you're deconditioned, you're going to be able to slap that pavement for miles and miles and really you know, have the potential to bang yourself up because you're at, you've actually got gravity assisting you. So I would choose things that sort of, that, um, that play to that, that balance. Um, in the weight room, we love a front squat, like a barbell front squat, a back squat. If you're rounding, you know, the, you know, we know under load, the last thing we want to do is, is really flex the spine and compress it. So under load on a back squat, your neck will <laughs> prevent the bar from rolling forward on a front squat. If you don't keep great position, nice upright position, you're going to dump the bar. So things like that we find to be really useful where uh, a, a person's ability to perform it with sufficient technique is really the limiting factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's I agree with that completely. And I, I love the, the hill. That's uh, something I hadn't uh, thought of about uh, going downhill, but going uphill, teaching you a good technique no matter what kind of shape you're in. But yes, um, well... Actually, we're going to need to take a quick commercial break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about exercise with Jeff Gerbitz. We'll be right back on Be Fit for Life.
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be, taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. If you have a question or comment about our program, send us an email at chadaustinfitness at gmail.com. That's chadaustinfitness at gmail.com. Now, back to Be Fit for Life. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Chad Austin. You're listening to Be Fit for Life. We're here with Jeff Gerbitz from Bang Fitness. And when we went to break... When we went to break, we were talking, and uh, Jeff, one thing I talk about on the show and one of my descriptions of the show is to help people make fitness a priority. And so uh, that's one thing I've, I've learned over the years as a trainer with my clients is, I mean, you think if you're really good at, if you're going to be a personal trainer, your goal should be to help people get long-term success, not just temporary success. And so talking about your gym membership, the way you guys have your gym membership set up I, I really think people are set up to to succeed long term, and so. But uh, could you tell us just briefly about how you set up your membership and what people at Bang Fitness members there would get? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we're sort of in a funny place. We're not. Uh, we have personal training. We have group classes, and, and that's pretty standard fare. Um, but in the middle, we have our regular membership, and the way that works is. The coaching is um, is sort of set up like it would be for private coaching because everyone has an individualized program. But the uh, when they come in, they're about four people sharing a coach. Uh, the coach doesn't have to tell them what to do because they've got it laid out for them. So our staff can just really concentrate on on coaching on their job, making sure the movement is great, adjusting when necessary. Um, and and so we we have a lot of oversight. Uh, the staff really care, committed. So. Um, for the most part, people just have to show up. You know, same to you. There's a, it's a Woody Allen gag, but 80% of success is showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that really seems to be the case because people are pretty good. You put them in the right environment, they'll, they'll work hard. People aren't babies if, if you don't treat them like babies. They really right. are pretty good. We just have to uh, get them in here. And so, and, and I'll, you know, I'll certainly concede that it's, it's self-limiting. And people who are, you know, they find us when they're ready to work. Um, mm. But we find that our, our results long-term um, and, and the consistency people have, because anybody can really grind it out and go, go really hard for a month, and a lot of people do, and this is sort of the, the conventional thing. When I talk to people who are struggling with fitness, they'll work out hard for a month, really you know, feel like every session is epic, is super hard, um, and then they'll get burnt out or they'll get injured or they'll just kind of lose their motivation and and it really doesn't have they don't all have to be that grueling um, mm-hmm. if you come in and you're training um, numbers are going to tell the tale and so if you're training yeah. three four days a week uh, in the long term and you miss less than you know 10 20 percent of your sessions you know what you're probably going to be doing really well yeah 
Yeah, I think it's, I think it's all about consistency. They're starting out accountability, consistency. If you want to, if you want to form those healthy habits that are going to make you fit for the long term, uh, that's that's crucial. Just to keep showing up. When when those people get started, I mean, what do you teach people about uh, how much exercise they need? How much exercise does someone really need? <laughs> how much exercise does someone need? <laughs> you know, so think of it this way: there's a there's a continuum. Uh, you know, on one end there's survival and on the other end there's, there's optimal health, there's performance. We're really thriving. So we've got, um, you know, somebody who's a hundred percent sedentary, doesn't move. Um, how can we make a difference for them? It's actually really easy. You know, it's, it's another thing to try to even get an extra percentage improvement in an elite level athlete. But so how much exercise we need, depends on, on what your goals are. But I, I hope everybody's goal is, is a little loftier than just surviving. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at a minimum, uh, you know, I don't always agree uh, with, uh, you know, what the government's, government puts out in terms of recommendations for, say, nutrition or exercise. Um, but in this case, um, that was me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> In this case, uh, you know, I think it's pretty it's pretty on point both in in the U.S. and Canada, where it winds up working out to be about a half an hour of exercise, give or take, every day. And some of that should be more intense. Your heart rate should be up. So um, it depends. You know, I have uh, you know I'll have older relatives who say, "Well, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing, Jeff? I'm walking every day." And even if you're you know in your seventies, are you walking? hard enough to elevate your heart rate substantially would, would be my question. Again, we all, you know, always with the caveat of safety in mind, but usually there's no reason why we can't uh, push a little more exercise is a stress. Uh, we don't know. Your body doesn't know what's going on. Um, whether you're being chased by a lion or you have to push a boulder off your chest or you're on a, a treadmill. So it will adapt accordingly. So we need a little bit of a challenge at a minimum to really, um, you know, uh, cause adaptations and on the upper end, how much can we do? Well, you can certainly look to build, um, you know, elite athletes might train 25, 30 hours a week, uh, which is not to say that's something you, you have to do or have to worry about. That is a, that is a work capacity that's built up over years and years of training. Um, but I, I think you just have to say, well, what benefits can I get and what's my best return on investment? We find there's a huge difference there's an unbelievable difference from being completely sedentary to even half an hour of exercise a day. There's a huge difference um, going from, you know, one hour of exercise per week or one scheduled session to two. There's a huge difference going from, from two to three. Um, and then we start to get more incremental. There's definitely a, a jump from four and you, you get diminishing returns. So I guess the question is, what are you enjoying? And, and, Actually, maybe we should backtrack and, and ask, well, what do you need to do to enjoy exercise? Because it doesn't have to be onerous. You've got, you've got the genetics to do it. The fact, you know, I said before, the fact that you're still alive, that your genes are still around means somebody was moving well in your yeah. ancestry. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they were dodging tigers and climbing trees and, and, and wading through swamps. So um, that hardware is in there in terms of just finding a way to express it is, is just um, having a good time and not overdoing it. Um, so I would look, you know, I would say the majority of the people we see, um, they come in to train three to four hours a week and, and, and try to be active during the day as well. Um, there, there also, there's all sorts of room for lower intensity activities, right? Like walking, um, gardening, what have you. And these things, they may not be the ultimate, they might not be the pinnacle of, uh, of athletic performance to say plant begonias, but it's a nice base and it actually helps with everything else. Yeah. Um, Brett Clicka, we talked about earlier. That's someone that another fitness professional that we both uh, like and read from from time to time. But he has a great article that he wrote about people need, needing to invert the pyramid. I don't know if you ever read that before, but it talks about how most people's pyramid, you know, their base of their training is cardio. And then it's, and, and so I could tell you everything they do about cardio. And then the next, the middle of it would be resistance training where they can tell you what they do, but it's a little vague. And then top of it be nutrition where then it's really vague. And an answer may be like, well, I try to, I try to eat right. Or I try to, I try to have a balanced diet, but they, they really don't know 
they can't tell you exactly what to eat or anything like that. And so it talks about how most people's pyramid looks like that and it needs to be inverted, where nutrition needs to be the base. But as far as cardio and resistance training, how, how important is cardio exercise? Do you, how, what do you say to your clients and how much do you want them to do? Well, cardio is, I mean, having a good aerobic base, and it's kind of funny because in recent years, um, I don't know if it's out sort of in, in general circles, but there's a lot of debate on whether, uh, you know, slow and low training is, is useful for people. There's, there's been a big sort of pendulum swing to high-intensity work where people mm-hmm. feel that's all you need to do. And there's actually a lot of benefit that comes from lower-intensity cardio. Their adaptation, you know, the, the healthier your aerobic system is functioning, the better you're going to do. Um, and what contributes to a good aerobic system, it's the amount of blood your heart can pump out. It's the kind of plumbing you have. And we're talking about um, blood vessels. We're talking about, uh, you know, the capillary density in muscles. We're talking about... Um, uh, mitochondrial density, so the, the little guys that, that create energy for us from oxygen. Um, and again, we don't. It, it's not all you should do because there's more to the fitness equation than just uh, aerobic work, but it's tremendously useful. Um, and I, I think a really important part of, of health overall. So how much training you need to do to sort of, um, what's your best return on investment? And that's probably... Um, you know, hour and a half, two hours of, of steady state cardiovascular work per week. Um, you can, you know, if you want to break it down into three, like half hour sessions or, or two 45 minute sessions, that should be enough, um, to create some, some really positive adaptations. And, you know, so even if that's not your goal, even if you're not, if you don't care that much and you're a strength guy, um, the ability to recover well between sets, the ability to manage stress, all that stuff comes down to the function of your aerobic system. So um, that would be sort of the minimum I would recommend. And that creates a nice foundation, again, physiologically, to say, well, do I want to push past that? Do I want to do some high-intensity work on top of that? Absolutely. Um, you just sort of have to – you've got a certain amount of stress you can play with, right? Mm-hmm. And you can spend that stress. You can do it um, by banging on your joints. You can, you can spend that stress by um, – doing something that's a little more focused. You can spend it on, on strength intensive work and just with a, a limited amount of money to spend as it were. Um, I think uh, uh, there's a coach named Patrick Ward who I, and I think is a really uh, smart guy who, who talks about this. You know, you have a certain amount of capital you can spend. You can, you can move money around from one bank account to the other. But, and so you can choose what you spend that on, but you don't get more. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, so more, more is not always more when it comes to aerobic training. If you're doing great running 10K um, a few times a week, I'm not really sure you need to, to trip all that. If you enjoy it, you should do that. You should do things that make you happy. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. If it's for a training effect, you might have already kind of gotten uh, the best of it. You might be 80 or 90% of the way there, and you might find your time really from a, from a, a fitness standpoint is better spent. Um, elsewhere, and strength training is often overlooked, uh, especially by by endurance athletes. They're sort of, I, I, you know, I guess it kind of came out of the '70s um, and 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 the '80s with the jogging movement, where it seems like it's a really great idea to be able to um, run great distances, and you should. But it's not the only measure of health. Um, right. Being able to, uh, you know, <laughs> push a uh, you know, uh, again, push a boulder off yourself is, is a pretty big deal. If you're hanging off the side of a cliff, I think you should be strong enough to pull yourself over the top. And I'll, I will, I will grant you, it doesn't come up a whole lot. I hope, <laughs> I hope, but, um, it's, a, it's a skill set and a, and a, and a sort of a physical ability that you should have. Um, and this is just part of the general physical preparation, uh, preparation equation. Yeah, I like how you talked about. I, I do think it does come down to kind of the changing of your goals and your and what your goals are. I I like the analogy you use about the bank accounts. How you only have so much to go around. You can divide it up however you want. So I I've been. I mean, being a a wrestler when I uh, that kind of an athlete, and I teach insanity class. So it's it is high intensity interval training. Uh, that's both so popular right now. But now training for the uh, the twenty four hour event that I'm getting ready to do. 
in November. I've never done an event that's uh, just a really long distance event like this. So it, my comp- training has completely changed all of a sudden. So it's kind of it's more about getting the miles in and and getting the hours of training in than it is the intensity. And so it's definitely it's been yeah, a kind of a fun I mean, change, it's, but it's, it's a, a definite change. It's a particular skill set for that because you need you need to be a decent runner, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you've got to have a decent uh, aerobic base, as it were, but at the same time, you've got a lot of specific obstacles. You have to have, if I'm not mistaken, you've got to have some really great grip strength, yeah, right, and upper body strength to get over some of that stuff. So it's sort of a, it's a combination, um, and it's a good, I think, general indicator for a lot of people. If we wanted to use it as a test, it would tell you a lot. Yeah, um, and if you wanted to train for it, I might game the system a little bit and 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 really try to treat the individual obstacles as exercises. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to kind of do a little bit of everything because I'm still doing insane doing uh, interval training now because I teach insanity a few days a week and I I'm, I try to swim and things like that. But then I'm trying to get long distance training into so it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to train for because it's, it's kind of both. It's kind of a little bit of both of. Uh, you know, higher intensity training and both long distance training with the, with it being an obstacle course, it's long like that. So it's been a, it's been an interesting change of something I hadn't had prepared for myself or with the client. So it's been yeah. kind of cool. It's always good to have something to train for mm-hmm. sort of, you know, you're, you're on a timeline, you can, it's coming, whether you're ready for it or not, it's coming. So mm-hmm. it, it's uh it's, it's a nice little uh, kick in the pants for, you know, whatever your training goals might be for the short term. Yeah, it's definitely uh, raised my motivation a lot, and that's kind of. Um, and whenever that happens, it, it definitely makes me better at my job, also. But I was just wondering, what what kind of things do you do to kind of help you stay motivated to keep your training going? That's a that's a great question. Um, for me, there have been a couple things lately. Um, you know, so going back last November, um, we hosted a certification here uh, for Strong First, which is a, a a kettlebell certification, and we, which I really, it was great. The technical components of it were, were fantastic. I really think it's, it's some of the best stuff in the world. But the, we, it was a three-day course, and the physical components of it were also really grueling. Um, and after, uh, you know, two, two days or two and a half days of, of really tough training and practice and just, just hammering on skills over and over, we had some physical testing to do. So we had our technical requirements, and then you've got your um, infamous snatch test where you have to, uh, you know, like most guys, I use a 24-kilo kettlebell. So that, I guess about it's 53 of your American pounds, and uh, you've got to get that over your head. You can switch your arms as you like, uh, but usually it's about half and half, and, and you've got to get it over your head 100 times in five minutes. Um, and so that, that took some doing, you know, so, so it was something that when, when we booked the, uh, the certification, I knew, well, uh, whether I'm ready or not, this is going to be here. So I had to do all the, all the preparatory work to make it happen. Um, so that was nice. We trained as a group, you know, all the, all the coaches pushed each other. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, w- I would love that kind of a challenge to do. Actually, I'm sure that was a, a lot of motivation that added to you. <laughs> right, so um, we're running, starting to run out of time here. So there's a few important things I want to make sure I ask. But first, uh, people are listener listeners that are listening to this episode and are impressed by the website of Bang Fitness, which everyone should be. How can what services are you do you have available for someone that doesn't live near you? Well, I think you should move immediately to Toronto. <laughs> um, and if, if you can't do that, um, we are uh, getting ready to roll out a distance coaching program. Um, and so you just shoot us an email. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out for you. If, if you want a little oversight uh, for your training, just email us at info at bankfitness.com. And, uh, and we'll be able to oversee that um, from a distance coaching standpoint. I'm also getting, uh, I'm working with the, the folks at weighttraining.com. And uh, we're going we're gonna to launch a small group. I'm not going to have that many people in it. I'm thinking about capping it maybe at just 10 people where we're going to, as a group, um, again, it'll all be distance, but I'll, I'll lay out the exercises and the, and the training strategy, and everyone's going to, wherever they are in the world, follow along. So uh, you can also check out uh, the good folks at weighttraining.com for that stuff. Um, so, you know, so awesome. I say there, there are a few options. If, if you refuse to move to Toronto, Canada, <laughs> I, I forgive you. I, I'll get over it. 
Um, <laughs> but if you're in Toronto, please come visit us. We'd love to see you. And listeners, I will put that information on my Facebook page later today uh, for you guys that have been checking that out. If you haven't liked my Facebook page, make sure you do. As you always do, you'll get up-to-date information on everyone that's been a guest on my show. And one more question, Jeff, to finish the end our show here today. If listeners could, this morning, could they could only take away one thing from our interview today, what would you want that to be? You know what? <laughs> maybe I can jump ahead because I think we're going to talk about maybe maybe uh, I rambled on too long, but we're going to talk about motivation. And one thing I want to kind of get across to people, or, or one of the messages that I think is really important, is that you don't have to be that motivated to train. And I think that sort of um, it does a lot of people disservice this idea that they have to be revved up and ready to go and and go into beast mode and go nuts. Uh, like the truth is. There are things in your life that you do every day or, or more days than not um, that, you know, are, are work. And, and, and your job is probably the, the prime example. Um, the expression is that success leaves clues. And so what I would kind of urge people to do is look at, look at what you're already doing with, with a high frequency and why you do it. Um, you know, from a work standpoint, maybe every day isn't super fun, but you still get dressed in the morning and go to work because you know that if you keep doing that, there's a cumulative impact. There, it's not that there's one day that makes or breaks you, but just if you keep showing up day after day, week after week, you get a paycheck, you get to do things like, like pay your mortgage, uh, buy groceries and things like that. So you, there's a, a cumulative benefit from doing everything. And exercise is the same way. There's no one day that makes or breaks you really, um, or there shouldn't be. What happens is if you just, dedicate X number of days per week and you keep showing up, don't do anything crazy, find something that you can do that's a challenge without breaking it down, uh, you're going to find that you do just fine. And, and the rest of it is just time and, uh, you know, time and consistency. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. I love it. That's a perfect way to end the show today. And thank you, Jeff, for being a guest. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. This was a great episode today. Listeners, If you, I will post more of Jeff's information on my Facebook page later today if you want to check out Bang Fitness or his weight training uh, for the online, uh, online course later on. But thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more for Be Fit for Life. Thanks again for tuning us in. Please join Chad Austin next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Be Fit for Life on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, have fun, get active, and be fit. Be fit.